0: The views and opinions reflected in any of the stories narrated are solely those of the story contributor and are not necessarily that of the Nightmare Society. This podcast features adult content, so listener discretion is highly advised. And if you or anyone you know is struggling, help is available. Please see the resources in the show notes. Again, Nightmare Society, just a little heads up, this will be the last episode for the next few weeks. I'm going to take some time off and do some holidays with the family. If you are on our online campfire at patreon.com slash nightmare society, I will be putting out an episode on there. And if you're not, feel free to go back and listen through some of our catalog. There is a limited amount of episodes on um, the podcast apps, but we do have our entire catalog all the way back to episode number one on our YouTube channel. Links to the online campfire as well as the YouTube channel and all that is in the episode notes. Thank you. Now, get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. This happened when I was around 13 or 14. This was at my father's house. The back of the house has the entrances to his garage and an unfinished basement. Questionable wooden stairs lead up to the main level of the house. The door separating them has a window and looks down the hallway that has mine and my siblings' bedrooms. This particular night I woke up at about 1.30 or 2 a.m., for what I guessed was no reason. It's not unusual, so I just shut my eyes and tried to go back to sleep. While I was lying there, I heard some footsteps on those awful wooden stairs. At this point, I sat up, wide-eyed and terrified. Then I heard the doorknob jiggle. Adrenaline was rushing so much and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have anything to use for protection in my room. And to get a kitchen knife, I had to walk out of my room, right into the sight of whoever was trying to get in. Luckily, the basement door was locked. My stepmom had recently encountered a teenager with some mental problems trying to get into our basement through the sliding door. This kid lived in our neighborhood and caused lots of complaints from neighbors for various reasons. After that, she made us lock all the doors any time of the day. After the doorknob went silent, I heard footsteps going back downstairs, and I decided to run into the living room, which has windows facing the backyard, so I could see who it was. I couldn't see anything. I went to the kitchen, grabbed a knife, and sat there looking out the window until the sun came up. I never told my parents about it, which in hindsight I should have immediately woken them up and called the cops but I was dead set on not wanting to see who was trying to get in or letting him know I was there. This story was told to me many times from my grandmother. It took place when she was around 5 or 6 years old. She lived in a very, very small town. So it was safe to let your kids run around town all day. And there was very little crime. On one afternoon, my grandmother had decided to grab a nickel and walk to the movie theater. As she approached, a man about 6 feet tall stood at the entrance. He was around 18 or 19 years old at the time. He approached my grandmother and explained to her that her father, my great-grandfather, had been in a horrible accident and she needed to come with him right away. Her being the naive child she was, she followed him. He took her to a heavily wooded area where an old barn was situated. He coaxed her inside saying, Your dad is laying right over there. He was trying to get her to go deeper into the barn. She said that a feeling of dread washed over her entire body. She turned and looked up at this teenager and saw his intentions in his eyes. She said she had run faster than she ever had in her entire life up to this day. She ran straight to her house to find her dad sitting there at the kitchen table. My grandmother explained to her father what happened. He tried to calm her down to the best of his ability. Now, my great-grandfather was a principal of a small school where this boy had attended. He had called him into his office and had his mother come in as well. He explained to them that if he even thought about laying a hand on one of his daughters again, he would ruin the boy's life. The mother took this very seriously and moved out of town. My grandma never saw him again. Fifteen or so years later, after my great-grandfather had passed away, she found a newspaper article and it was a story of a young boy abducting a five-year-old girl sexually assaulting her murdering her and throwing her body in the river of course the boy that had done that was in fact the boy that tried to abduct my grandmother that day proof that you should really trust your instincts met Sean while working at a local car dealership. We were both new and spent a lot of time learning the ropes together. He seemed like a nice guy. He had two kids, came from a good family. I spent quite a few hours alone with this guy, delivering cars, taking lunch breaks, having drinks after work. I even brought him to my house to hang out, never knowing that in just a few weeks, he would slaughter his whole family. I honestly would have never seen it coming. Thinking about all the time I spent with him makes me question my ability to judge someone's character. Kyle here. For those of you who aren't familiar with Sean Bentler, he murdered his family, his mother, his father, and three sisters. Mike and Sandra, and the daughters, Sheena, Shelby, and Shane, of Bonaparte, Iowa. According to Medium.com, Sean was an average student. He didn't get into trouble except for one incident, where he started bullying a friend in high school and bragging about how rich he was. The friend got sick of it and they fought, and both were suspended. After high school, Sean enrolled in a community college but dropped out before his first semester was over. He worked jobs at Lowe's and Home Depot. Both ended because of his poor attendance. He once told one of his bosses that his father suffered a heart attack and died to get out of work. During this time, he had two children with two different women. To try and help his son, his father, Mike, gave him an opportunity to work for him at his business, building houses. Mike owned a successful lumber yard and a grain elevator, allowing him to provide a comfortable life for his wife and children. When that ended, he started selling cars sean acted like he had a lot of money but seemed to never be able to pay his rent and he relied heavily on mike and sandra while also stealing from them his parents often brought him food unable to fully cut him from their support but they were getting sick of his laziness and sean knew that he even told the mother of one of his children that he was on the brink of receiving a lot of money from his mom and dad then all of his problems would go away Early on the morning of October 14th, 2006, Sean took his roommate's car and drove an hour and 20 minutes to his parents' house. He entered the home, grabbed a rifle, and quietly walked to the basement. First, he shot and killed the elder of the sisters, Sheena. As he went back upstairs to where the rest of the family slept, his mother woke up. Sean shot her, but she was still alive and able to wake up her husband. Sean and his dad fought over the gun. Sean gained control and hit his father over the head with the butt of the rifle and then killed him. Sandra tried fleeing, screaming for the girls to call 911. He goes on to kill his two remaining sisters, both while they were on the phone with 911. I will link the Medium article in the show notes. There's a lot more details in this and it's an interesting read and a very sad one at that. in what is considered a rural australian area but it's not really most of my neighbors only live a few hundred meters away and their houses are easily in sight but not within hearing range my street is one of the few within my town with houses so far away the rest of the streets are what you would consider typical suburban streets with houses normal distances apart this happened when i was 14 and to this day it still haunts me, as it was never resolved. I was walking my best friend Lane home, and we were pretty exhausted, as we had been prepping our horses for a show the next day. Lane Street is one of the normal streets within my town, yet the beginning of it is bordered by a pretty steep hill, with Australian bush and the other thick, scrubby ditch full of bush. Not necessarily intimidating but definitely not the funnest part of the street to walk at dark as a skinny little 14 year old girl we had just passed this part of the street and the houses were on either side of us when an old red sedan pulled up a little bit disconcerting but nothing out of the usual as a lot of cars did park on the street however as we walked a little bit further up the street perhaps 60 meters or so lane said was just standing there drinking a coke alarm bells began to ring in my head and I figured I should turn around and go home so I wouldn't have to walk through the scary part of the street at dusk with creepy coca cola man standing there I turned around and walked past the man on the other side of the street figuring I was near houses and could easily run into one if trouble arose none did Yet, once I cleared that part of Lane Street, I was on my own road. I had a primary school on my right hand side, closed for the night, with no one there, and houses on my left, yet those homes were still quite far from me. At this point, it's getting pretty dark and I'm walking quite fast, as I knew something was up. I didn't run, I thought in my head it would trigger the creeper to act. It was at this point that I turned around and looked back towards the creepy part of Lane Street. The red car was slowly inching around following me. I was still about 500 meters from an entrance to my property, which is just a little gap in the fence for maybe just one person to squeeze through. At this point, I pretty much noped the F out of there and bolted. The car speeds up. I run another two kilometers down my property to my house and watch this man drive about halfway down my driveway. No one is in my house and I frantically try to find my parents. I run around the back of the property to find my dad on the ride on and flag him down to tell him I got followed home. He drives out to the front to see the man pulling out of our driveway and he gets in his car as quickly as he can to follow him and get his license plate. Unfortunately, my dad couldn't catch him as my street is a junction to three more, and all of those have many more streets you can turn down and get out of this area. I did end up reporting this to the police, and several other attempted abductions did occur in the area, yet none were successful. Two years later, about 110 kilometers north of here, a girl was abducted and murdered with a suspicious red car involved and a man fitting the description of the same one that followed me. This man is still at large, but thank goodness in five days, I moved 1,300 kilometers south. Details have been changed to provide anonymity to me and other people related to the story this happened nearly four years ago so my memory isn't the greatest in 2014 i moved to ohio from california after my mom had retired from being in the army in middle school i ended up transferring schools in the middle of the second semester march of 2015 the new school was in a crappy small town because we moved and the school I was attending beforehand was about 20 minutes away and my mom didn't want to have to drive me. The school in the small town was within walking distance of my house, so I didn't mind all that much except for I was no longer in school with my best friends, and being shy and antisocial at that age, I didn't manage to make any new friends in the new school, so I was the sort of new kid my grandparents lived in this crappy small town and when my mom would deploy i would live with them because my dad left when i was an infant a lot of these people in this town i had known from kindergarten to second grade let it be known that at the time i was a full-blown tumbler-esque flower crown dan and phil and 21 pilots faux emo kid i don't even know what to call this to be honest other than cringy At the time, I was very freshly 14 and my fashion choices were rather questionable. I had dyed bright red, fringy emo hair, wore baggy hoodies and skinny jeans, and wore distressed American flag high top converses. In my pre-algebra class, there was this kid named Connor who had a crush on me. Connor was average height for a boy in the 8th grade, but to me he was short because I've always been tall. He had straw-like brown hair and he was slim. He asked me out many a time in class and I rejected him because I had been e-dating a 15-year-old guy from Texas. Despite that, though, he didn't make me feel weirded out. The class was pretty tiny, so everyone knew everyone. Someone important to this story is Ella Davis. For some reason, no one called her Ella. It was always Ella Davis. Ella Davis was a shorter, beautiful girl, with a long, brunette ponytail and a smile decorated with shiny braces. She was one of the more affluent families. Affluent, in quotations, just meant middle class, upper class, because not everyone in the town was poor or lower middle class. Ella Davis, being so beautiful, affluent, and popular, was genuinely nice to everyone she met including me, the shy lanky emo kid. No one had any reason to dislike Ella Davis and no one did. She was a textbook girl next door. One thing I remember so vividly about Connor was that one day before pre-algebra he had complimented my distressed American flag high tops. Nothing unusual so I said thanks. He started taking off his beat up gray shoes and pleaded to trade with him. I expected him to seem like he was joking, even just a little bit, but he wasn't. He looked pretty serious about it. I shrugged it off and was like, dude, no, I like my shoes. From there, nothing really happened. A month or two goes by and suddenly Connor and three other boys stop showing up to school and whispers around the school spread like a wildfire. And of course, considering I legitimately had no friends, I was the last to know. I remember I was in my last class of the day, when a girl named Carmen had told me that during a sleepover, Connor and three other guys I had known from school had planned to kidnap and kill Ella Davis. They also decided that they would kill Ella Davis's parents too, If they got in the way of everything. It was a concise plan and they even managed to steal guns from their families. It should be noted that of these boys they were around normal height for all their ages. All except one named Sean. Sean was shorter and plumper than the other three and at the sleepover he was sexually assaulted by one of the other two guys, not Connor. He was given the role of lookout one night they ended up going over to Ella Davis's house after stealing guns from their families, but were spooked away by the family dog. Sean ended up caving in and going to the authorities, despite his role in conspiring to kidnap and murder Ella Davis with the other two guys and Connor. As far as I know, he wasn't charged and he returned to school. Connor was charged as a juvenile while the other two were charged as adults for what happened as well as the assault on Sean. When I found all of this out, all I could have thought about was the fact that it could have been me instead of Ella Davis, considering Connor had that big crush on me and wanted my shoes. The scenario kept replaying in my head for the rest of the day. How did this dude from my class who wanted my cringy emo shoes turn out to be like this? Thank you so much for listening. Hope you all have a happy holiday. And until next time.